Fellow. This is the Fight Back Podcast, hosted by exercise scientist Georgia Berry. Here you'll find a series of honest conversations about martial arts and mental health. My guests and I explore the statement that every martial artist has heard. Martial arts saved me. How and why do combat sports save people? Listen to find out. Today, you're going to meet the incredible Joe. Joe has now been in recovery from addiction for almost 10 years, been living a life free from unwanted violence and abuse for almost four years, owns a successful tattoo shop in St. Catharines, Ontario with her husband, Chris, and fills the rest of her time training Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu and making the most of every moment with her son. Chris and Joe host a weekly Zoom meeting for addiction recovery through the organization Refuge Recovery. You are going to love this one. Everybody, welcome to the Fight Back podcast. Today, I am joined by Joe. Joe is a recovering addict. She's a mum and wife and a Muay Thai practitioner. Joe, welcome to the Fight Back podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, everyone, I want to start out today's conversation just talking about the nature of the topic of conversation that we're going to have. So this might be a little bit triggering for some people. We're going to talk about some dark stuff. We're going to talk about some light stuff. We were just speaking on air, off air about the contrast between the two and how important it is. So know that this story has a happy ending, um, but the beginning is going to have some things that might bring up things for you, might be difficult for you to watch or listen to, depending on how you consume this show. So be gentle to yourself, take breaks, reach out to people, anything like that that you might need to make you feel safe. You know, we're very strong on that here at the podcast. Um, So with all that said, I want to really hand over to you to start at the beginning of telling your story. Awesome. Thanks so much. Um, Yeah, I I think that in order to properly illustrate uh, how impactful Muay Thai and martial arts have been on my life, it is important to go through um, some of the uh, definitely the darker aspects of um, my childhood and my young adulthood. Um, going up to the point where I found Muay Thai. Um, And uh, like you said, uh, anyone who wishes to kind of like skip or fast forward, I'm going to try to like stay away from the nitty gritty. But um, I think it's important to emphasize uh, the contrast between the way my life was then and uh, the way my life is now. Um, So that being said, I uh, grew up um, in a family with uh, older sister and younger brother. Um, we had a bit of an unconventional childhood. Uh, we were homeschooled. I went to uh, school for the first time um, in grade nine. And up until then, uh, it was just me, myself, um, and my brother, my sister, and my mom and my dad around the house. Um, and this was really cool for a bunch of different reasons. We were able to, to travel um, we lived for a period of time in the States and down in Central America. Um, we did some volunteer work and uh, traveled um, quite extensively throughout, uh, throughout Central America. Um, and we were exposed to a lot of different ways of living, a lot of different cultures, uh, different levels of, of poverty and wealth. Um, and my, my parents did an amazing job of instilling this um, very like, uh, non non judgmental non discriminatory way of looking at 
um, other people in the world. And um, I give them a lot of credit for that. Um, so uh, we were very loved. We were taken care of. Um, just had a little bit of a quirky upbringing. <laughs> um, yeah. And so we weren't without our, our struggles, though. Uh, both my parents had uh, some ongoing struggles with mental health. Um, my dad especially uh, battled severe depression um, and anxiety. And neither of them uh, abused substances. Um, but the, the impact of those um, mental health struggles really uh, melted their way into our family dynamic at a really young age. Um, there was frequent arguments, frequent tension. Um, the whole kind of vibe around the house was more like walking on eggshells, not wondering or not, not knowing necessarily when like an outburst would happen, um, not knowing where was safe, um, not knowing whose fault that was or, or whether um, me, like as a young child, was to blame. Um, and uh, when, when we were younger, I think I speak for all of our siblings in saying that the uh, homeschooling was really beneficial. We were able to um, just like stay home and enjoy that time with um, the parents and the bad stuff went, went over our heads somewhat. Um, later in life now I've realized that that even though I don't quite um, remember a lot of the aggression from when I was a, a really really young child um, it still instilled in me a lot of uh, I guess like attachment issues as a as an adult um, for myself as soon as I started to get to an age where I was more cognizant of the tension um, I began looking for a way out of it um, and I started wondering why I was kept at home uh, and wondering why I couldn't go to school, be like the other kids, have a place to fit in, have a regular friend group, have um, teachers that I could go to for help, guidance counselors, um, like coaches, uh, other positive adult role models that I could look up to. Um, so I started asking to go to school. Um, unfortunately that didn't happen. Um, by that time, my family was embroiled in a, like a lot of conflict and, uh, I don't think they were prepared to kind of uproot the dynamic of how the kids were learning. Um, but that just, uh, made a lot of the, the issues at home a lot worse. Um, around, uh, age 11 or 12, uh, my mom had been experiencing domestic violence and I started to be um, aware of that and mm -hmm. eventually the target of that violence as well. Um, and it was, it was around that age where I really started building a strong resentment uh, towards the fact that I was um, not given, I guess, the other opportunities or supports that other kids might have. Mm -hmm. um, and it was like the, the past um, years of early childhood um, had built up this um, kind of just like tension and, and um, rage within me. And I started acting out a little bit and cutting myself, uh, starting to, to look at any way I could to um, find a distraction or to leave the house. Mm -hmm. um, and then a lot of the... Uh, 
a lot of the feelings that I were was experiencing while I was at home um, revolved around a loss of control. I was um, not allowed to necessarily make the decision for myself whether I wanted to stay at home or not. Um, mm. I had very limited access to like the outside world, as you could put it. Um, and I really, as, and most kids have the struggle where they're looking for more control from their parents. It doesn't matter if you have an, a perfect like textbook upbringing or, or not, there's always that search for autonomy as you, as you grow. Um, mm. but I got, uh, I think I, I definitely, um, really, really yearned for that. Um, and so I didn't know where to turn. Uh, and eventually, uh, when I was going into grade nine, um, the decision was made that I would end up going to high school mm-hmm. and it was almost as if the, the floodgates opened. Um, I had tried, uh, some, some alcohol and drugs, just smoked weed before high school. Mm-hmm. Um, but then going into high school, it was just like, the floodgates opened and the world was my oyster and I, um, all the things that I hadn't been able to do prior, I just kind of plunged into head first. Um, and the other aspect of, uh, kind of going into like that, that setting, um, was that it was really hard for me to navigate the social dynamics of, of high school. I had no clue how to, um, I just had no experience in mm. that. I was, I was well liked, and I had I had friends, and I was um, weird enough that people wanted to hang around with me, <laughs> and uh, charismatic enough that I wasn't a total outcast. Um, but I was definitely drawn to um, the other kids that were maybe going through some difficulties or had similar situations at home. Um, and were otherwise a little bit on the the fringes of the social dynamic at the high school. Um, and so that led to uh, a lot of a lot of increased drug use, alcohol use, partying, um, really anything to distract myself uh, from from my my home situation. I was still living at home at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents were going through their uh, end stages of their divorce so the violence and tension um was at like an all-time high um Mm -hmm. and uh, eventually I left home um dropped out of high school and the combination of the childhood trauma and um my incessant need to belong to uh, a group of people or find find my niche find my my place in the world led to um just like the drug and alcohol use escalating mm-hmm. quite quickly take a sip of water <laughs> no you're right I think too when we were talking about um attachment right you were mentioned you mentioned attachment theory like mm-hmm. For, for people who aren't familiar with that, it's this idea that as kids, what we need is to know that there's like a secure base that we can always go back to while we go out and explore the world. So it's like this go away, look back at mom and dad, know that they're there, keep exploring and come back so that you learn to be independent actually requires you to have like a level of 
love and and nurturing and not saying there wasn't love and nurturing but it's it's such a I I don't want to say like fate written dynamic but like to at both times have the secure base not be secure right to be walking on eggshells and be scared of the secure base but then also not sent out into the world to explore must have been just like like so so difficult for your young young brain to to comprehend it's so far away from what would be like the ideal scenario for sure i took a really long time coming to grips with how damaging that was um mm. and because my parents were loving they were they were kind they had our our best interests in mind they they wanted to do well by us they my mom cared about us immensely we were her whole world um it just wasn't a dynamic that was healthy between her and my dad and uh my dad was unwell he mm-hmm. he didn't have the capacity to be there for us in the way that we needed um and my mom wasn't either and uh after years of therapy of course i've realized that um that secure base that you're talking about um it would have been one thing if we had been isolated to a secure base, mm. but we isolated to a base that was insecure and not given the opportunity or option to even access what the idea of a stable base would look like. So I went through life thinking that um, I had a really, really privileged childhood. And in some ways I did. Um, but I. Uh, I didn't realize the. I didn't know what a healthy what a healthy um, family dynamic looked like, and I think a lot of people don't. When especially when you're a child, you have you don't have um, a lot of comparison when you are living in something twenty four seven. Totally. Not till a lot later that you can actually process that. Um, what you went through could have could have been better or at least impacted you in some way positively or negatively definitely definitely and as kids we we hold ourselves as the center of the universe too and that means that we assign fault and blame and things like that for everything that's going on to ourselves we don't have the ability to look and say like oh, you know, they're struggling with their mental health. It's not that, like, there's something wrong with me, you know, or that, like, this is just what's normal This because you don't have this other frame of reference too, you know. It's so we forget Absolutely. too, I think, how different it is, like, the child brain to the adult brain. Yeah, and you can't explain that to a child. It's really hard to explain that in words to a child or in an academic sense. You just don't get it. And if, so if you don't have someone who has the skill to not explain it or understand the theory, but in real life, act that out as a nurturing Mm -hmm. caregiver. Mm -hmm. It's all fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) Which I suppose brings us to the next part of the story. Yeah. So um, I was, I think 14 or 15 um, when I used drugs intravenously for the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, when when I started using drugs, it was it was very much just a need to um, kind of escape my body. I didn't like real life. I, I needed um, I needed to 
feel different. I, I was restless. I was um, unhappy. I didn't know where to, what to do with the emotions that I was feeling. Mm. Um, and so as soon as I uh, tried getting drunk for the first time, um, smoking weed, doing ecstasy, cocaine, um, pills, as soon as I, I had all of those first, it was a very quick escalation to like wanting more of it. Um, and in the most intense way possible. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so unfortunately, uh, that's where I ended up at a young age. Um, I dropped out of school. I started to just build my life around, um, uh, drug use and the people who were in that circle with me. Um, and I started to find a sense of belonging with those people for all, all the wrong reasons, really, like whether it be um, just that we were doing the same thing. So we felt accepted by each other or um, we we were with each other because one of the other people had something that we wanted. Um, it was a very uh, like toxic cycle of being around people who are going through um, like a really tough time. Uh, and, and at one point, um, long before I was of age to legally be doing this, I was um, soliciting myself for sex as one of the ways that I would uh, make money. Um, And I had an encounter with someone that turned violent when uh, he wasn't going to pay. And um, for the most part, um, throughout all of this, like, chaos I was pretty naive to a lot of the dangers that came along with the lifestyle I was living mm-hmm. um apart from from family violence and and domestic struggles I hadn't experienced kind of um being the brunt of any violence out in the real world um I was like kind of just really naively like selling drugs selling my body doing IV drugs not being responsible about it mm-hmm. um and and really paying no heed to any of the consequences for myself or um the kind of pain and suffering that I was causing for my family um I had less and less contact with uh with all of them as as time went on and as I got more and more wrapped up in in my own thing that I was doing um <clears throat> but when this when this uh encounter happened um that turned violent it was terrifying like I um just felt an overwhelming sense of um powerlessness Mm -hmm. and uh and and weakness I didn't uh feel like I could do anything about the situation I felt stupid like how could I put myself there Mm -hmm. um and I uh was like for a good like hour or so very like shook up about it and um then couldn't handle that so I went right back to using mm-hmm. um and I just shoved shoved that memory into like a little little box and chucked it over my shoulder and went on went on with my life uh of just avoidance basically mm-hmm. trying to trying to stay away from from that fear and that helplessness and uh in any way that I could. Um, so 
Fast forward a little bit, I uh, decided to leave the my hometown um, mm-hmm. where I had gone to high school. A friend of mine, a girlfriend of mine, um, and myself, we hitchhiked across the country out to British Columbia. Um, and our job or our um, idea was to just kind of go for the summer, mm-hmm. um, do some odd jobs, see the country, um, be a little like vagabonds and then come back. I had never been out of Ontario um, before that, apart from the traveling I had done with my family. Mm -hmm. Um, So I went to Canada and I thought it was a a good way to do it. Um, And a big part of me was like, like really needing to run away from where I was. I had been there for most of my life. um, And I had uh, all this kind of like compounded trauma that had happened in this area. So Mm. the, and I, and I knew that I wasn't um, behaving like safely or uh, like deep down, I knew that I I probably wasn't on like the healthiest path. Mm -hmm. Um, So this was almost an excuse for me to try and try and change my ways. Um, So we, we headed out out west um we got there without issue and uh then my friend had to um leave she went back home to Toronto she had a personal issue come up and Mm -hmm. and she left I wasn't ready to go back (laughs) I I was um definitely like just not prepared to kind of make the trek back and I had nothing left for me in Ontario Mm -hmm. um to kind of try my luck um try my luck out west and I met someone um it was another uh guy who was uh he was traveling homeless he was he was busking on the street when I met him and we ended up just kind of like latching onto each other um and I what turned into like me wanting to stay for an extra week two weeks month um, turned into uh, four years or so of um, kind of living a very like transient uh, lifestyle on um, kind of in and out of shelters, in and out mm-hmm. of housing, um, kind of floating around from different jobs uh, to other jobs. Uh, and um, the whole time, both him and I were in active addiction um, mm-hmm. and trying to stay t- stay one step ahead of whatever uh trouble we had gotten ourselves into um i i i say this without without judgment towards him because i know that i was a very unhealthy person at the time as well but mm-hmm. um our relationship very quickly turned into um a very toxic and abusive relationship as well. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, yeah, it was, it was, it definitely took, took, took the two of us to continue the cycle, but, um, he was, he was, he was struggling just as much as I was. And the mixture of that with the, uh, like drug use, financial struggles, um, stress of different things happening, like, I was pregnant. I got an abortion. Um, mm-hmm. I was, uh, he had warrants 
uh, out for his arrest. So we were constantly just like bouncing from place to place. Mm. Um, and I ended up getting um, arrested and, and charged with um, trafficking as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of these things just kind of, and the fact that we both came from like fucked up childhoods with no, no proper um, modeling of any sort of relationship just, just led to this four years of us um, being absolutely awful to each other, but not able to, uh, not able to leave. Um, mm. We were the other person's kind of only, only lifeline, I guess. Um, so yeah, our, our relationship was, was violent. Um, he, he was, he was physically abusive. He, he hit me. Um, there were times, um, and it's taken me like a, a lot of, uh, gumption to, to be able to say this over the years, but, um, he raped me. Um, I used to, uh, trick myself into thinking that 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 didn't happen um Mm -hmm. considering we were in a relationship and there's a whole slew of excuses I could tell myself to that would um that I would that I would try to use to convince myself it didn't happen but um it did and all of those uh encounters that I had with him only fed into this strong feeling of being helpless worthless um, not deserving any better being, um, entirely out of control of the the situation that I was in. Um, and I, I had a lot of instances over, over those years with him, um, and with other people that just made me feel completely out of control of myself, um, and out of control of any situation I was in. Um, I always had a little bit of like a, a fantasy about, about like being able to fight back and like be the one to like get myself out of a situation or um, like use, use violence and like be the one who, who finally like comes out on top. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, but I was like super unfit. I, mm-hmm. I was treating my body like shit. I was eating like shit um, under like so much stress, I could barely, you know, walk around the block without, or like, you know, take a bike ride without being crazy out of breath. So Mm -hmm. it was nice to think about those things, but in reality, they definitely (laughs) were not happening. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so I guess there's a couple points, a a couple of really low points, um, Mm. that I've just where it would have made sense for me to um say all right this life isn't for me anymore um you know I I need to find help I need to to leave I need to stop what I'm doing I can't use drugs anymore but none of those things um well I wasn't ready to do any of those things and the way that I had um, the way that I had grown up and, and my, um, self-perception had been shaped up until that point really led me to believe that I was undeserving of anything better than that. Um, and the, 
dynamic of the relationship that I was in, um, where I had like attached myself so, so strongly to this very harmful individual, Mm -hmm. um, played a lot into, um, my next relationship with my, um, my, my son's father. Mm -hmm. Um, and now looking back, I can, I can just like jump step by step back to seeing the relationship with, um, that I had with my dad and that my dad had with my mom, um, and how I witnessed, um, my mom putting up with, um, things that she shouldn't have for a very, very long time. Um, all the while being told that, or being shown that that was normal and that was something that you accept and, um, something that you work through with someone if you love them. Um, and lacking that secure attachment as a child, having a romantic partner that was all in, you know, saying, saying that, that he loves me and, and being one of the first like adult men to, um, I guess like position themselves in a, in a, in a place where they were kind of my caretaker, Mm -hmm. um, gave this like very, uh, like false sense of, of safe attachment. Um, so it was really, really hard for me to give that up. Um, and along with him, obviously we're both kind of an active addiction just came like, uh, continuous drug use. And if I was with him, um, there wasn't, there wasn't any chance of me getting clean, um, or, or changing. Um, so eventually I did get to the point where I had exhausted all of the strength that I had left to stay. And I had seen the pattern that was happening now for, for years and years and years. And, um, I did get the get strength to leave. Um, and so I ended up hitchhiking back to Ontario. Um, I didn't go through any detox or, um, official rehab or, um, uh, go to any like therapy or have any professional help, um, as I was getting clean. Um, so I just went through this, uh, kind of like absolutely miserable period of withdrawal as I was hitchhiking back home to, to Kingston. Um, and I was, I, I didn't, I didn't look back. Like I didn't have, I didn't have thoughts of, um, at this point, I didn't look back. There were other, there were other times. Um, one time I even flew home to Ontario, um, with the, with the thought of, um, not returning to BC mm-hmm. and it, within a couple of days I had used the last of my money to get back to BC, um, and was using again and, um, broke my mother's heart. I'm sure, <laughs> um, to see me, to see me go back. But this time, this time I had no, uh, I had no will left to put myself back in a situation, um, to be with my ex and to be putting myself through such harm, um, on a, on a day-to-day basis. Um, yeah. So I arrived back in Ontario, um, mm-hmm. And, uh, was clean. Um, and very, very soon after, within a couple months after, um, I decided that it would be best for me just to abstain from everything. So, um, 
I stopped smoking. I stopped drinking alcohol, stopped smoking weed. Um, I could see that anything was um, a gateway to kind of going back to my old life. Um, and some of the people that I still knew in Kingston uh, were had heard that I had come back to uh, to town and um, anything that they wanted to do kind of revolved around substance use anyway. So I was trying really hard to, to stick to myself. I had one really close friend that I moved in with um, and I started my life fresh <laughs> um, with her. Um, so when I, when I, when I did that, I wasn't, um, again, I wasn't necessarily aware of the support that was there for people who were going through what I was going through. Mm-hmm. Um, I could have definitely benefited from a lot of it uh, and a lot of the resources that I refer people to now. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead I just kind of, again, like shoved it in a little box, tossed it over my shoulder decided yeah. I wasn't going to think about that part of my life anymore. Um, I got a job. I started working out. Mm-hmm. Um, I started going to the gym, running. I started uh, thinking about what I was eating. I wouldn't say that I started uh, eating healthily because I started watching my calories. Um, I started really, really restricting what I was eating, mm-hmm. um, being very um, meticulous about controlling that aspect of my life. Mm-hmm. And it was it was like, okay, for the time being, because it gave me something else to focus on, yep. um, filled my time, it filled my days completely. Um, and in my mind, it was a, it was a positive alternative to the way that my life had been in the past. Um, mm. and it was a gateway into the fitness world. Um, just the fact that I was buying running shoes and, and like going for a run or buying a gym membership and trying to understand like how to lift weight properly and just getting my body moving, um, was a wonderful step in the right direction. Um, yeah. And, uh, so shortly after I started all that, I met my father, uh, my son's father, mm-hmm. his name is Matt. Um, and he had recently gotten sober as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, here I am like fresh, raw, newly super vulnerable and really, um, kind of excited about the the path that that my life is taking mm-hmm. and without any or without most of the old people that I had in my life um so when I when I met him the exact same thing happened that had happened previously where if someone paid attention to me they were at that point in time doing the exact same thing that I was doing with my life starting to get um, sober, uh, starting to work out and starting to, um, basically try to align themselves on a better path. Um, so I went and I just like latched myself onto him again mm-hmm. and did the same to me. Um, and six, six years later, I found myself again, leaving a very, very manipulative and abusive, uh, relationship, um, that, that took, that took a lot out of me. Um, 
so while I was with him, uh, I had my son. He's Mm -hmm. seven now. His name's Ezra. He's almost eight. Um, And I started a tattoo shop. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, I got a car. I started going to school right before I got pregnant. Um, And I was actually in a a course to be a child and youth worker. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I, when I had my, uh, my son, I kind of had a little bit of a choice to make. I couldn't balance tattooing um, and going to school and financially it made a little bit more sense for me to stick with tattooing as, mm-hmm. as my son was younger uh, and um, schedule wise too. It's, it's very flexible when you're dealing with a young child. So mm-hmm. um, I, I went that route. Um, we ended up building a really successful shop in Kingston um, but throughout this time, it was just thing after thing after thing that we were, uh, reaching for. So it was school, it was, um, the pregnancy, um, getting married, uh, now then building the shop and we had all these buying, buying my first car, mm-hmm. getting my driver's license, all of these, these really good, good things. Um, but I, I paid very little attention to anything that was going on internally. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, I was, uh, clean and sober. I wasn't using any, any drugs or alcohol still. And him Mm -hmm. and I throughout our whole relationship were, were sober, um, which is wonderful. But uh, we really didn't pay any attention to any of the underlying issues that that we both had going on. Mm-hmm. Um, when we first met, actually, I guess I should mention this. Um, we were just getting to know each other and chatting a bit about our backgrounds and um, kind of how we came to be where we were. Mm. And I had mentioned that I had this history of heavy drug use and mm-hmm. he... Uh, he said the same for alcohol for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he never really had much drug use. Um, and I had mentioned that I used intravenous intravenously and he, um, he just looked at me and he had this scorn in his, in his voice and in his eyes. And he was like, Oh, really? Like, that's disgusting. Like, I don't know why anyone would, would do that. That's uh, like, that's, I just, I just don't understand. Like, I can't imagine that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just kind of like closed my mouth and, and it reaffirms every thought that I had that um, like, I should be ashamed of myself, myself mm-hmm. and ashamed of my actions. And um, that uh, I didn't have anyone to relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, initially I, I had been, I had been excited to find someone who could kind of understand this, the, the struggle I had, I had been through and mm-hmm. um, kind of like work with me side by side as I wanted to improve my life. But mm-hmm. um, as soon as he said that, I was just like, Oh, wow. Okay. So you don't talk about that. Like that's, that's just not something you talk about. Um, yeah. I guess every, everybody in recovery has the same opinion. And so um, I must be a special I must be a special, especially fucked up. Like <laughs> there, there must not be anyone, anyone like me in recovery who, who has gone through the same thing, which now of course I know is like the farthest thing from the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so throughout our whole relationship, I kind of had this um, facade almost of of being someone that I that I wasn't to an extent. Um, and um, as the issue started to arise in our relationship, and his controlling side became more apparent, uh, and my depression and anxiety um, got to be unmanageable. Um, I started asking myself a lot more questions about, um, about, about those things and and looking at more options, um, for support. Mm -hmm. Um, so I started doing therapy Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and yeah, during that therapy, it was, it was like a, a, a good gateway for me to understand that I wasn't alone and that there, there is support, uh, for people like me. Um, and that the, things that I was experiencing in my relationship, although they weren't physical violence were super manipulative and, um, and definitely considered abuse, which was another hard pill for me to swallow because I had gone from a physically and very um, like a visually abusive relationship to Mm -hmm. a different type of abuse. That's um, a lot quieter, a lot more hidden Mm -hmm. um, and a lot more kind of like quiet, quietly manipulative than, um, than physical violence. So starting to lighten the mood a bit. Yes. <laughs> um, I was tattooing a client one day. Uh-huh. Uh, and when was this? I would say it was after I had my son who mm-hmm. was born in 2014. So I'm guessing maybe like 2015, 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, I started, uh, I was tattooing this client, um, and she was telling me about this, this class that she was taking, which ended up being a Muay Thai class. Mm-hmm. And I, my interest was peaked right away. I was so excited. I told her that I had always wanted to try something like that. I just hadn't known where to start. Um, and didn't have anybody really to kind of guide me in the right direction. Yeah. Um, she had really good things to say about, uh, the instructor, she was a beginner. She wasn't very experienced. Um, so she was a good kind of gauge for me to be comfortable going into, um, a class. Uh, so she took me with her one time, um, Mm -hmm. to try it out. And I was obsessed. I was absolutely in, in love. Um, it was the most like rudimentary beginners class ever. Um, I didn't know how to do anything. Didn't know how to throw a punch. Um, of course I thought it was like super tough, but like, I, I had no idea how to like do any proper technique. Um, Mm -hmm. and I discovered that despite all the running and cardio and weightlifting that I had been doing, I was still so unfit Mm -hmm. (laughs) when it comes to the world of martial arts. Um, so I had this like incredible workout. I was like, on the verge of puking, mm-hmm. like just so ecstatic for the chance to be able to like hit something. And, um, I was, I was still in my, um, previous relationship and, um, under like a, a fair bit of stress, I, I hadn't quite figured out that, um, I was, I was finished with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was internalizing a lot and, uh, the excuse to be able to take that frustration and rage and 
um, all of the negativity that had uh, compounded over the last couple of years and just feel totally like the biggest weight had been lifted off my shoulders after I left that first class Mm -hmm. um, had me completely, completely hooked. Um, So I continued going to that gym Mm -hmm. um, for a little bit. I tried a couple of jujitsu classes. Um, I liked it, but I was really hooked on Muay Thai. Um, Mm -hmm. There was so much to learn and going into the two disciplines at the same time, I would have been, I felt like I would have been way over my head. Um, and I wanted to really like apply myself properly to, um, one. Mm-hmm. So I picked Muay Thai. I started going all the time. I would train like three, four times a week. Um, and I had a young child at home. So getting out that much was hard, <laughs> yeah. um, but it was, it was my saving grace. Um, if I didn't have a good day, if I had, if I was struggling at home, if I didn't know how to process the emotions and, and kind of manipulation that I was facing at home, I would, I would go to class and, and everything went out the window. I was only focused on my breathing, um, my technique, um, getting through the workout, working with your partner, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more I, loved Muay Thai and the more invested I got into it there was this spark in me that I think was a little bit foreign to my my ex-partner um and it it scared him and he he saw that I was really like interested and invigorated by something Mm -hmm. and um the Joe that he had met that really like put aside everything else in my life to like attend to the relationship and Mm -hmm. um bend over backwards to make things work and make things be copacetic started to, um, pull back a bit and gain a little bit of strength in terms of recognizing how good I felt when I had left a a Muay Thai class, um, and how awful I felt when I was subjected to some of the stuff that he was doing. And for the first time I had the comparison of, oh, wow, like this is what it feels like to do something for myself, um, to, to feel like validated by doing well at something, uh, to learn something new and be given credit for it. Um, and, and when I started getting that from other people and other situations, I started realizing that he was actually not giving me any of that support. Um, and the more I realized it, the more he began to, to um, panic, I guess, when he realized that I was like slipping out of from underneath his thumb a little bit. Mm. Um, and things got, got much worse um, quickly. Um, it got to the point where he uh, made such a big deal of, the fact that I was leaving the house to go to Muay Thai, mm-hmm. that I was leaving my family, that I, that I should be staying at home and, and taking care of um, our son, um, that, that eventually I, I stopped going. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't, even though I, I felt so good, I was still just kind of like trapped in the relationship. And um, at that point in time, I had a really young child and I was like, all right, maybe he's right. Like I work with my hands Mm-hmm. I, ha- I have to take care of my 
son and I'm, and I'm taking this time to do something good for myself. Like, who do I think I am? (laughs) (laughs) But yes, I think that's so common too. Yeah, it's for sure. Um, And uh, it took a year of me then totally neglecting myself and just, (laughs) you know, trying my damn hardest to make things work um Mm -hmm. until I until it it just really clicked that it wasn't my fault and uh like nothing that I would ever do would be would be good enough and the absolutely like atrocious um atrocious oh geez I have braces so sometimes I have a lisp (laughs) it's a hard it's a hard word anyway I think (laughs) yeah um yeah the 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 abuse that I was experiencing was, was, was totally unacceptable. Um, my son was growing older. He was starting to see stuff and hear stuff. And, uh, I was, I was just getting to the end of my rope with it. Um, so before I left my then husband, I decided to go back to Muay Thai mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I started training again. Um, the coach that I had been with previously left the province. He moved out east. Um, mm-hmm. So I found another another coach um, who had quite a bit more experience, specifically with Muay Thai. Um, he only did Muay Thai uh, and was training uh, some fighters from the local other gyms. Um, mm-hmm. They would do like their their other conditioning and, and jiu-jitsu and boxing and stuff elsewhere and then just come to him for like specific stand-up and, and Muay Thai yeah. training um so it was a really like intimate environment the gym was this like ancient um amazing like awful smelling place yes, yes we all know <laughs> the, the type <laughs> yeah um the floors were carpet and the the walls were completely covered with um like fight posters mm-hmm. from and like 70s 80s 90s um and he had like the like canvas bags still like the big like heavy canvas bags yeah. um and it just it was really comfortable I, I i felt like i could go there what happened there kind of stayed there i was able to train mm-hmm. um and not necessarily like run into people from the gym or, or have to um, have to really like associate with anyone, anyone else that might cross my path. Um, And my, my love for the sport just kind of became refueled. Um, And as I was training with him, I, I managed to come to the point where I wanted a divorce. Um, I, I left, I, I left the, um, business that I had with my ex, uh, completely to him. I, I just took my tattoo machines and my equipment, mm-hmm. um, and my, my son, and I just walked away from everything. Um, and, uh, just once again, started fresh, <laughs> Um, but this time I wasn't going to give up Muay Thai. So I've been training since then. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I started with him in 2017, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I've been training consistently since then. Um, 
I've I've had the the one fight. I've been to Thailand. I've switched uh, trainers and coaches quite a bit because um, I've actually moved cities uh, since then as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I just like to experience um, whatever different people have to offer, style wise or experience wise. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'll take a short break from talking. Yeah, I was going to say at the start, we're like, okay, we'll make it into a conversation, but I just really felt like you were flowing really well. Yeah. Amazing up until this point. But yeah, like now we can definitely dig into some like more Muay Thai uh, specific stuff. So like fighting, I think is always such a big step up and difference, right? In terms of um, what your training is like, you know, your training shifts from, going to have fun and let off steam and and whatever. And then it becomes very, okay, like got to do diet and the running and like be fit enough for the fight and start to think about like a game plan and all that stuff. Like what sort of a fighter do you kind of feel like you were in your first fight? Let's just start with the first fight. Of course, like everyone wants to grow, but what kind of fighter, you know, were you like going out just like no game plan, just like swinging like crazy high intensity (laughs) or were you like a measured fighter? What like, what kind of fighter did you see yourself in that, in that first fight? Oh my gosh. Um, so first fight and only fight so far. Uh uh And, um, I had a game plan. Mm -hmm. I think, (laughs) but but it, it didn't, it didn't last for too long. Um, and so I'll back up just a tiny bit. Mm. Um, so, uh, I met my husband, Chris, um, Mm -hmm. 2018. And one of the things that we kind of instantly bonded over was Muay Thai. Mm -hmm. I have been trained, um, prior to meeting him, obviously. And he had been training for a number of years at that point. I want to say probably, I think maybe around six or seven years he had been training. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I I met this guy who was sober into Muay Thai. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like instantly we just like bonded and clicked. And I had, I had been at a point where like kind of learning from experience from my past relationships, I was very much like focused on, on healing focused on um like parenting my son uh mm-hmm. and doing things that I had I had been kind of like forced to give up in the past so um I went into meeting him with like a, a very very strong sense of wanting to um like remain the person that I that I wanted to be um mm-hmm. And there was like a little bit of fear and hesitation in terms of, of, uh, not wanting to be like, be vulnerable or open myself up again. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, like with him, it was just in- inevitable. Like, um, we were like just instantly compatible and his, uh, kind of like, um, emotional, uh, knowledge, uh, from his own lived experience and um, the person he is too, he's a very compassionate, kind, understanding and giving person um, really lent me the comfort and, and security that mm-hmm. I needed to, be able to like pull my, pull my walls down a bit um, and actually engage in a relationship in a healthy way where we could both kind of grow and, and experience the things that we wanted to experience. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and Muay Thai was a huge part of that. So, uh, we obviously started like training together as soon as we met. Um, and he introduced me to some of, uh, his, his gyms and, and trainers that he had been working with. Um, and we fought on the same card that Mm -hmm. night. Um, and, uh, so that's one thing that we promised that we would never do again is fight on the same card (laughs) with each other. Yeah, it was, it was bad and it was cool preparing for it together. It was awesome to be able to like diet together and do all the things that you had mentioned, Mm. um, like, you know, be conscious about our weight, uh, like bump up the training a bit, like mm-hmm. strategize, um, panic, <laughs> all of yeah. the above. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, uh, but then when it came to the actual night, um, he was headlining the event, um, mm-hmm. and I was earlier in the night. And, um, so he spent the majority of his night just like helping me warm up and kind of like being by my side. Mm-hmm. and just the person he is he's so he's so like caring um and giving that like all of his attention was on me up until maybe like two fights before he had to he had to perform mm-hmm. um so we we just like promised each other that we would uh, like 100 percent fight separately and so that the other person could like do all the caring and and the, and the fighter could do the fighting. Um, and that way it's just like a lot more clear cut and, and less stress. Um, but also it's like fantastic to have your partner be, um, able to be like as into it as you are. Um, yeah, I, I think like, um, maybe not being on the same card, but being as into it as you are, is that like nice sweet spot? Um, I know yeah. in my relationship, we've, we've really, I don't think we've actually, we've never fought on the same card. And so, so my partner does jujitsu and I do Muay Thai. So that's been a big part of it, but I've competed uh-huh. in jujitsu and he's competed in Muay Thai as to be like, oh, cool. we'll step into each other's worlds kind of thing. Um, but I always feel like when I'm prepping for a fight, that's when I become really like my most selfish you know, like everything is about my diet, my training, like all these things that I'm doing. I really lean on him for support. I need that. And, and that's why I like to flip it back and forth because I feel kind of guilty, right? I'm like, everything has been about me, 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 me until this like fight. And then now it's like, okay, I'll take some time off fighting, which I think is good too. Uh, She can't always be prepping for fights. Um, And we'll prep you for a fight, you know, let's prep you for a Muay Thai fight or let's prep you for a jujitsu combo or like whatever it's been. I think it's it's a good balance. Yeah. I think that's a really, really good idea because you, you have to be selfish and put your all into it. And um, it's totally like, uh, it makes sense to feel guilty about that when you're when you're in it and like fully focused and not really having much room for anything to like distract from that um yeah so like having the balance of like being able to do that for each other is really cool how did you feel in the ring in the ring um I was really excited I was mm-hmm. I wasn't too nervous I was I had no idea what to expect um I was it was like easy for me to make weight. I wasn't really like cutting that much weight or anything. So I, mm-hmm. I felt physically fine. Um, I 
uh, I wasn't nervous going in, but then as you like started to walk up and get in the ring and like get ready, then your heart starts pounding a bit and a lot. Um, and as soon as, oh, it just said I was about to raise my hand. Weird. Um, as soon, as soon as, uh, like it was go time, like everything I learned just completely went out the window. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't even know where the rounds went. Like, I don't, I don't even know what happened during yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, it was, it was messy and like, I mean, I got through it, but mm-hmm. like, it was, it was, it was pretty, uh, technique-less. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, I ended up, um, like winning, but I didn't feel good about, I didn't feel good about it. Like as soon as I stepped out of the ring, I was like, oh, wow, I can't believe I just did that. <laughs> really? <laughs> Yeah, it's like, oh my god, I, I I could hear um my coach like yelling stuff and I just like wasn't doing any of it. And mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. as soon as I left, I was like, fuck, I could have done so much better. <laughs> but uh it was fun. It was fun. Um I like wanted to do another one right away. Uh mm-hmm. I ended up breaking my hand, so I, I had like quite a bit of a hiatus, uh not in the fight. Oh, um, I was gonna say. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no. I was skateboarding with my son and trying to show off. And that makes more sense. I was thinking about like the amount yeah. of wrapping that they do with your hands and then like taping it into the glove. I was like, wow, how did you break a hand in a fight? But that that does make more sense. Yeah, yeah. No padding and like a harsh fall on pavement. So yeah, that'll that'll do it. It's always the yeah. the non-fighting things too. You're like, I wish I could have like some cool like fighting based injury. It's like, no, I fell over I and then now I can't compete or train. <laughs> it's awful. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely learned my lesson. Full pads now every time I go to skateboard with my son. <laughs> and when you're doing Muay Thai. And when I'm doing Muay Thai, yes, definitely. Yeah. I think, you know, um, it's interesting how so much of, like, your story has, like, the the molecule, what we would call dopamine, like, involved Mm -hmm. in it. I suppose it's been an interest of mine more recently is, like, learning about how dopamine impacts our decision-making and that it's, like, really about motivation and drive and like trying to do things rather than a reward molecule, which I think is like kind of the wrap that it's got. So like for anyone listening, it's like, you know, you um, eat chocolate, you get dopamine, you have sex, you get dopamine, you do drugs, you get dopamine. And that like Mm -hmm. the dopamine is the reason why people will chase after all of those things, right? Healthy and unhealthy things is because your brain rewards you. Um, Yeah. And but that your brain really rewards you a lot for the pursuit of the thing. It gives you some after the thing, but most of it is the pursuit of the thing. And then a drop in dopamine after that to put your body into equilibrium, which feels like the pain of not having the thing, which it's not really painful, more just like an itch, like a kind of like a tap on the shoulder being like, do that thing again. Um, Yeah. Which, you know, like escalates into giving you less and less and less dopamine, but giving you more and more and more discomfort from not getting the dopamine. Mm-hmm. And of course, what we call that is addiction, right? And that that yes. is chemically, that's what's happening with addiction. 
but it plays out in so many facets of our life. You know, for, for you in the beginning, it was drugs and then it was, okay, like exercise, you know, like I'm, I'm in pursuit of planning my exercise and doing the exercise and controlling my calories and like, you yeah. know, then it's, um, then it's ticking, ticking life things off, you know, like you're going to get a car, going to go to school, going to get married, like always looking forward. Um, and I love how it was Muay Thai that was like, okay, now I'm, now I'm noticing how I feel in my body. Like I'm being in my body and that's giving me pause to contemplate all of the things that are going on in my life. That's a huge, huge thing for me as well. Um, so the being in, in your body, um, Mm. There's a couple of points that I would love to touch on. The the dopamine one is excellent. I love that you talk about that. And I think it's super interesting to notice the the, the positive and the negative um, things that you can chase and how um, even though it has a dopamine reaction and um, I'm sure like you get that training or like, you know, learning something new or meeting someone new, um, like it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, what am I trying to say here? You can get those there for positive and negative, negative things. Totally. So to like discern which, which ones will lead you down a very unhealthy path um, and which ones in moderation can um, help you flourish and grow um, is, is super cool. Um, so there's that that I want to touch on quickly and talk about uh some of the like addiction recovery stuff that I've, I started to do um, as I uh, like around like six or seven years uh, clean and sober. Mm-hmm. Um, and then being in your body uh, when you are doing Muay Thai, you can't not be in your body. Like if you're oh. in your head and if you're thinking about stuff too much, if you're like trying to memorize a combination or uh, like panicking about what your partner's going to be doing or like giving yourself shit or mm-hmm. um, telling yourself you need to do something better or whatever. If you're in your head, <laughs> I've run into this so many times uh-huh. where you're just not like the things don't work properly to be able <laughs> to, to like flow and like um, be the best Guess, like Muay Thai practitioner that that you can be I find mm-hmm. that that experience of like being in your body being grounded being present and um not worrying about past or future is uh, like 100% imperative um and just uh like over the last couple of years I, I learned that I've been like very heavily uh dissociative um mm-hmm. and as like all through childhood all through the, my whole life, um, uh, and like up and, up until kind of going through some um, like trauma therapy um, and kind of learning how to like rein that in a little bit and become more grounded. Um, but during during Muay Thai, during uh, like a physical um, kind of uh, like such a such an intense physical exertion, and um, I guess like. Uh, strenuous task that you're putting your mm-hmm. your body through like there's really not a, a lot of room to um to be like outside of your body it really forces you to breathe 
Um, it forces you to feel what's happening in your body. Um, and it, it's true. Like it gave me those moments of stillness where I was able to reflect on how I felt and how distant and far away I, I, I felt from myself when I was in those other situations. So interesting that that's how it was for you. Um, it's it's quite it's different, and I think it highlights just how everybody's experience with different things with trauma is so different. Is dissociation super common? I think that's something that most people who are experiencing it either don't realize that they are or think that it's only them. Um, and and anyone who doesn't have experience it with it just doesn't realize how many of the people that you interact with may be like having a lot of the time out of body experiences. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to me that uh, Muay Thai pulled you away from dissociating and kept you present. It's not always like that. Some people will exercise and that triggers them to dissociate because their heart rate goes up. It physiologically in their body feels a lot like a stress response and they go this is too much I'm gonna leave and I've had clients who've got injured from doing trying to do martial arts and and not having an awareness of that in in the beginning right so they get injured because they don't they're not paying attention to their body it's not that they're daydreaming in that they just they don't have a choice they separate from their body and and they can't control how hard they work, how hard their partner goes. And I really think it just highlights how different everybody is. You know, for some people, you can recognize that, then work with a therapist and then use a martial art to help you practice it. For some people, it's just like immediate relief. And then that's the trigger to like work on all sorts of different things too. And, And I love that. I think it's great that it's not like a everyone who does this thing equals this thing. Like that's not human. Yeah, absolutely. We're so unique and different and everyone's experience is so different. And that's a cool reason behind having all these different voices on your podcast is being able to hear those different perspectives and, and, uh, you know, hopefully there's something from my story that people will be able to relate to, but guaranteed there's stuff that, you know, some won't relate to and they might be someone else on your podcast that, that is a little bit of a better fit. Um, Another uh, kind of interesting thing I thought of while you were explaining that is that mm. so when my life at home was awful, um, mm-hmm. going to the gym and doing Muay Thai was like my re- relief and mm-hmm. gave me that in-body grounding experience. A couple years into being um, with Chris, where like everything's meshing, we are both like actively engaged in therapy my son is safe. I'm safe. I have like the best living situation possible. I'm training Muay Thai all the time. I've done the fight, I think at this point. Um, and like also started doing a lot more, um, addiction targeted, uh, therapy kind Mm -hmm. of looking at, um, and, and coming to terms with that part of my life. And, um, bringing it being able to to speak with Chris about it on like an open and non-judgmental um playing field rather than the shame that had kind of been been put on me before Mm. um as things started to really come together in my personal life there were times during training where it became almost like training was now my safe 
place to like fall apart. So I went from always being like on the ball, like never missing a beat, always being really like sharp and like feeling good in my body Mm -hmm. during Muay Thai to having panic attacks when I was training, Mm -hmm. um, to being, uh, in the midst of like, not even sparring, just like drilling or like light, um, light pad work and, and have to like stop because, um, you know, I, I can't breathe or, um, I, I start to, I would start to, to panic or have like a, um, like out of body reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, I was so confused. I was like, what the hell is going on? Like, I mm-hmm. don't understand this. Like everything is great. And like, suddenly I can't do the one thing that I've always counted on to make me feel better. And the more I do it, the more, uh, like, um, detached from myself. I feel I was like, something is, is going on here that I need to pay attention to. Um, and so right around that time I started, uh, working with another uh, amazing therapist. Um, and I was, I was explaining all this to him. Um, and I was having, um, really like, like a lot of like panic attacks at home. Um, a lot of like paranoia, mm-hmm. um, some like bouts of depression that were really bad. Like, um, just, uh, just a really, really like oddly rough time in my life mentally, even though everything else around me was, was wonderful. Um, and that's when we landed on the uh, complex PTSD diagnosis. Um, and I was able to kind of pull the pieces of the puzzle together and really like dig into and understand not only the impact that a lot of the childhood and kind of compounding relationships had had on me and um, life in active addiction, but also the learn a bit more about how your body and nervous system actually functions during, um, during those things. And after um, mm-hmm. when able to like properly process the trauma. Um, and so that spurred that, that, uh, that treatment on. Um, and, uh, that was maybe about two years ago now. And I'm happy to say that I don't have panic attacks anymore when I'm training, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, occasionally in real life, but it's still mm-hmm. a work in progress. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I love how you said, you know, that I was dissociating, I was having panic attacks, I couldn't breathe, and it felt like it was for no reason. And that made me think, well, what is my body trying to tell me? I think that as a question is possibly one of the most powerful questions we can ask ourselves. You know, what is my body trying to tell me right now? I feel anxious. I feel angry. I feel scared. This like things are happening that seem maybe unexplainable or not initially explainable, you know, because our our logic brains always want to assign meaning to things, but it's our, Mm -hmm. our deeper reptilian brain. That's the brain that is doing things by muscle memory and on autopilot and protecting us to ask, Oh, well, what is my body trying to tell me? Like, what is my body trying to say what's happened? And to listen to that wisdom, because there is so, so much. And like, look where it guided you. I think it's a question that can guide everybody to an improvement in their life, trauma or not. I completely agree. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And almost like live by that statement now. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's something that's not that easy, you know, too. I think, 
We talk a lot about, well, feel your body and like notice what your body's feeling. And, and not everyone feels their body all the time. We just spoke at length about dissociation. It means you don't feel yeah. your body and it, and it can be difficult to do that. And that's why I think just like you've done, working with a therapist is so useful because they can help you develop the tools to be able to do that. And, you know, you can start to feel the body to then ask the question, oh, okay, well, now I know what I'm feeling. What does it mean? What might it mean? Mm -hmm. and, and what can I do to soothe myself and to make myself safe? And another very critical piece of information that I learned um, was that, so I was, I was feeling my body too much, like, or it felt like it was too much. It was overwhelming. Mm -hmm. I was having like attacks of, of, of paranoia and anxiety. And it was making me question my life around me. Like I was questioning myself. I was, I was questioning um, like whether I was making the right decisions on things. And I was, I was looking at my, what you would say, like gut feeling mm -hmm. as being my um, compass. Mm -hmm. And then what I've, what was really, really, really crucial for me to understand was that those feelings that were happening in my body um, of the anxiety and paranoia and depression were, were feelings that had um, stayed almost like trapped in my central nervous system yep. from all this trauma. So it wasn't a reaction to what had happened in the moment. Um, it wasn't a reaction to the pad work or sparring. Um, it wasn't a reflection of my internal compass guiding me the wrong way. It was, it was this like massive mountain of trauma that, that didn't have room to be buried in my body anymore um, mm -hmm. coming out. So I hope that more people ask themselves when they feel the panic or the anxiety or the depression, not what it is that they're doing in the moment that could change, mm. but maybe ask themselves if there's, if there's something in the past that they, that they need to address. Um, because I think a lot of us, and I know I was really, really good at just like compartmentalizing and, and like shoving stuff away and um, pretending like it didn't exist. And at some point your body will force you to pay attention to it. Um, but if you don't have the tools or support to guide you in the right direction of maybe you need like trauma therapy, or maybe there's like something, you know, a little bit deeper that you need to dig into, um, then it can be really frustrating to, to, to experience these symptoms that are like at times debilitating mm -hmm. and not, not know where they're coming from or question yourself um left right and center even when in your day-to-day -day life you're doing everything right totally and of course like that that's in your life the, the model of like things that are causing me to feel anxious and stressed was like I'm running from the cops I'm like living from home to home I'm like doing all of these stressful things they must be the things that are causing the stress and to then take them away and and I think that that's very normal like we said our our brains are so logical we want to look for reasons you know if you feel stressed yeah. you want to be like or oh, my partner's stressing me out or they're doing something wrong or like yeah oh, I'm I'm on 
you know, X, Y, Z wrong. We want to look for reasons um, and often blame, like immediate blame that we can assign things that are going on with. And, and it often is a question of, well, there's so much more that it could be, you know, you are not your thoughts too. You know, mm-hmm. your thoughts come a millisecond after your body feels a sensation. You know, your body habitually feels the anxiety and stress and panic that's been trapped in your body for so long. And then a millisecond later, your brain goes, oh, I'm anxious because so-and-so did so-and-so, right? This is happening. Yeah. But yeah. It, that that millisecond is so powerful. And I, I do think that that is one of the ways that like Muay Thai and, and doing anything that really engages your body helps you to put and maybe an extra couple of milliseconds into that millisecond some of the time too, like nobody's perfect with that all of the time. Like I'm definitely not yeah. perfect with that all oh. of the time, of course, but you get a little bit more occurrences of being able to go like, well, this is what my body's doing. I'm going to interject before I have the thought. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it's much like, you know, somebody hits me and I like cover up to block it. I want to have a, maybe a millisecond to think about what I'm going to fire back sometimes, you know, yeah. In a yeah. fight, in a fight. <laughs> Sometimes I'm just like on, on autopilot being like, oh, you hit me, I'm going to hit you straight back. And that's useful too, because it's quicker, right? We, yeah. You've got to have a balance of those two. You can't always be rationally thinking things that's so energy intensive to use the neocortex, the, the most recently developed part of your brain that does critical thinking, because it, it uses right. a lot of calories. It uses a lot of energy. It's exhausting <laughs> yeah. to think critically. We want to think like on autopilot sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess that would make sense why there's equal amounts, physical and mental preparation going into um, a competition or a fight like that. Totally. Um, I want to come back to what you said a little bit earlier about going through like some of the resources the things that you did regarding to addiction, things that might be available to people um, that they could do or that you, you know, have found to be beneficial. Okay. Um, well, so I mentioned before, I kind of didn't use anything at the very beginning. I went cold turkey. Um, mm-hmm. It's possible. I'm living proof of that, but it's really, really hard to mm. go through something without the support and resources that are available. Um, Is it true and luckily, that you can die from that? Is that true? Can you die from, from withdrawal? From withdrawals? Um, I'm not sure. To be, I know you I'm can die either. from specific... Um, specific types of opiates mm-hmm. um things like benzos uh you you can have like a a fatal withdrawal from um mm-hmm. i don't think you can have a fatal withdrawal from like heroin um morphine that's awful but um i don't think it's fatal i i could be wrong though i, I should know but i don't uh, I, I don't know about should i mean that's where i was like oh, I, i've got that in my head and I don't know yeah. whether it's like a wives' tale or it's just like something that someone said, like it feels like you could, and then it's become yeah. or whether you like, you literally could. But I think either way, you yeah. want to get help. With that. You get really, really, really sick, regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's there's like medical assistance that is available for that now, um, where it can be a little bit more more comfortable. Um, but even if it's not opiates that you're talking about, like if it's mm-hmm. alcohol drugs um or even if it's like abstinence from gambling sex um Mm -hmm. like overspending overeating Mm -hmm. or any sort of like 
um, food related disorder. Um, a lot of the process um, and supports are are similar. Um, mm-hmm. So I I didn't uh, discover um, the twelve step meetings until after I met my husband Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, showed me into uh, the first one. We were going for a friend's uh, celebration of um, their like sober anniversary. I guess mm-hmm. I think it was year celebration. Um, and so I had never been in a room like that before. Um, and I had a little bit of a skewed perception of it. I, I was a little bit judgmental, um, in thinking like, maybe I didn't belong there. Um, or, or that like, it was just like a bunch of like old guys that like do nothing, but like drink coffee, coffee and like hang around in a church basement. Mm -hmm. It's not everybody from all walks of life. Um, and guaranteed if you're struggling with any sort of addiction um there's a meeting for for like almost everything um and uh the the sense of just being in a room with um a number of people who are able to relate to you in some sense um and sharing that with um this like room full of people who are all there for the same purpose is incredibly powerful um and I know uh, Chris Chris used um, AA and NA and CA uh, as like a very big part of his addiction recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really helpful for him at the beginning. It's not helpful for everyone. Um, and there are different avenues to take. Like you can do individual um, counseling. Mm-hmm. Uh, reach out to um, different like out, outpatient um, therapies. Um, and Chris and I run... A, or I guess we host um, a recovery meeting mm-hmm. that is with uh, an organization called Refuge Recovery. Mm-hmm. And it is um, based around uh, the principles of Buddhism. And so it's looking at um, recovery from addiction of all sorts. So mm-hmm. drug, alcohol, food, et cetera. Um, but just based around like principles of, of mindfulness and compassion um, and uh, there's a lot of meditation included, a mm-hmm. lot of um, learning to live with like the present moment and um, being in touch with yourselves, being of service. Um, and it's, I, I, have, I have more experience with that uh, specific uh, meeting than I do with the 12 step meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, from my experience of it, it's very inclusive um, very non-judgmental and, um, a very easy place to, um, get some sort of support. Um, and there, like, there's a plethora of, of resources. If you just kind of look for it, it can be really confusing to know where to start. Um, but if you go to or attend any of these meetings, or if you, um, speak to, uh, like any of your local resources, um, there, there should be um, like a, a list of, of like local specific um, people or places that you can speak with. Um, yeah. <laughs> Do you guys have any plans to offer, um, what is it called? Sorry, Refuge? Refuge Recovery, yeah. To offer Refuge online? Yeah, so it actually is, online okay 
Yeah. The meeting that we started hosting, we started hosting it during all the lockdowns, mm-hmm. um, very like intensive here. Uh, so no one was allowed to see each other in person. Mm-hmm. Um, we hope to soon offer, um, it in a bit of a hybrid style where, uh, it's in person and online, but right now it is a zoom meeting. Um, mm-hmm. so it's accessible for everybody, um, all around the world, as long as you have zoom, mm-hmm. uh, 6 p.m. Wednesdays, Eastern Standard Time. Okay. Um, so 9 yeah. a.m. here here in Melbourne. Yeah, that's not yeah, bad. It's not bad. That's doable. Totally yeah. What's <laughs> awesome. that? Well, we'll put the link to how to access the, I guess you guys have a site or something like that. I'll get you to give it to me later and we'll put all the details for if anyone would like to join in with those Zoom sessions and some other resources as well for anyone who maybe listens to this and decides that they they do want to, you know, work on their addiction or even, I think, gain additional perspective into, like, addiction doesn't have to be, um, like, rock bottom, whatever that means for you, or, like, using drugs before it to be negatively impacting your life and for it to be something that you want to work on and grow through. You know, like you mentioned, food addictions, um, spending addictions, like, you can be addicted to any number of things and society doesn't see them as, as sinister, but they can be just as all consuming in, in changing how you perceive yourself and, and your experience of life. So I think, you know, for anyone who thinks that that's kind of them or that the dopamine stuff kind yeah. of resonates with them, like it's, it's a good time to get on it, you know? For sure. And I like what you said about it being less sinister because it's harder for people to recognize that, they're doing something that could be harmful or could be considered an addiction when it's totally like shoved in your face all the time, like shopping, online shopping. Mm -hmm. I'm guilty of it. (laughs) Like, you know, clicking that little stupid Amazon button all the time. Um, And uh, not to like put it lightly or whatever, or make a joke, but um, there's a lot of things that are are considered like totally normal and a part of our society that that can absolutely become troublesome or um, become like a burden to your mental health um, and a barrier to being um, free and happy and uh, present. And I think that's where I'm most focused these days is finding any barriers to me being present and trying to trying to break them down. Um, and uh, the Refuge Recovery Worldwide meetings absolutely offer help for for anybody, regardless of like the severity of your addiction. Um, so don't don't feel don't feel ashamed for seeking help for something um, if you if you think it's not like a, a serious addiction, like anything anything that's a barrier to your happiness um, that you find yourself. Uh, struggling to remove from your life or struggling to lessen um, can you can definitely find support for that yes I loved earlier too when you said you know there are kind of like negative things that you can get addicted to and there are positive things that you can get addicted to but when there's not moderation they become problematic it doesn't matter how healthy they are right an exercise (laughs) addiction um, a food control addiction, you know, which which not necessarily eating nothing, but like eating super controlled calories, all of yeah. those things where you get dopamine from, like we said before, that cause that cascade where every time you do them, you get a little bit less dopamine and a little bit more pain from the withdrawal. 
Yeah. That that constant withdrawal, that pain discomfort can really sap a lot of the joy out of your life because you start just looking for like how to get the next hit, right? How to exercise next, how to chop next, how to bite. It doesn't matter what it is when you're solely focused on that. And like you said, not being present, that's, that is diminishing the quality of the life that you, you could be having, you know? And I think that that affects so, so, so many people. I mean, we all have Absolutely. smartphones, we all have social media. Addiction is yeah. not a thing that just like affects a select through pe- few people. And it's like a hush hush thing that like don't talk about it it only affects people who are like aren't like me or you know like whatever it can affect Mm -hmm. anyone and anyone could have a story like yours anyone can go through anything it's like it's it's not a competition you know yeah yeah for sure it's definitely not a competition I love that um that that sentence because um that's so important like measuring someone else's struggle against yours is not a proper measure for you to go get help um yeah you're worthy of it no matter what exactly and I really feel like I've taken so so much of your time um that's okay we nearly did two hours I think we were kind of expecting that it was going to be a long long one so (laughs) um, I'll reiterate again like it's a podcast so I guess we're at the end now so (laughs) everyone's thinking like in retrospect uh they should have (laughs) could have but we did mention you know pause um take breaks you know like do other things at the same time. That's like what I love about having a podcast. It's like I can put something mm-hmm. out for two hours and you can digest it at whatever pace works for you, whatever pace is safe for you too. Absolutely. Thank you so, so much for having this conversation with me. It was fun to be here, fun to talk about this stuff um, and a pleasure. Have you thought of something to be grateful for today? What was it? I'm grateful for the amazing women that train with me at the Fight Back Project. I'm grateful for Nari and the beautiful song Shape Me heard at the beginning and end of every episode. And I'm grateful for you for listening to this show and helping martial arts keep saving lives. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. If you'd like to leave me a review to help more people find the show, that's a bonus. shapes me but me don't gotta tell you what my name is i don't gotta explain it walk in the room hear a boom erupting like i'm famous i'm here shedding shells i'm shameless i fear nothing no complacence walk too many tight ropes with no hope so i became this poster they hold over all the heads of trauma holders you don't need to know my history i move boulders atlas shrug cause i lifted the weight above his shoulders no pretense of defense move first like chess soldiers this goes deeper than empowerment cause huh, i'm the one that power it physical meets mental challenge me to keep devouring if i can't change the scenery at least i change perspectives no longer isolated but elevated and selective darkest places become beautiful spaces this is where rage meets patience meets power meets gracious meets we're so glad you came in the feeling is contagious when you the walking impact of intended bad intentions when you the manifesting of collecting all they tensions you the soul and body hold it all and still remember but i'm a work in progress testament to all contenders forgot what it was like to have control over self 
Forget what it was like to be the one in charge. Forget in my reflection, I can see all my wealth. Forget that with my bare hands, I break all these bars, barriers, and obstacles. They can't cage me, they can't chronicle. All my experiences and reduce them to appearances. When I was truly beaten, gave myself clearances to fall down, mess up, and get myself back up. I'm not looking for clovers, cause I don't believe in luck. Damn, you were badass, I heard them say it clearly. Why, thank you very much, I know now I'm not weary of what's next for me. Cause I expect to see growth like I was planted, watered, fed, and bloomed to be. The positivity and accountability. Knowing they won't step if I'm the agent of my agency. I think I found my voice again, huh? I think I found my voice again, huh? I'm not sorry, I'm not sorry, you're the end where I begin. Boundaries, I know them well. Take a breath and meditate. Who is she? I know her well. Now I get to open gates. One, two, one, two. I don't need your permission. And if you get uncomfortable, then use your intuition to know that I won't stay where respect is ever missing. And everything I do, that's me making decisions. It's truly underrated the value of self worth. Forget that I was rich from the moment of my birth. A penny for my thoughts, no, really, you can't afford it. You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it. You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it, huh?